Words from the Hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. Um, this week, the Lord started speaking to me because of the journey of several people, um, immersing in the lives of people, talking to entrepreneurs, talking to family people, talking to businessmen, talking to a lot of people, and, a lo- and so much pain and trouble is breaking out in the hearts of people. And I was lying down when these words dropped into me again on Monday night, I think it was, why do bad things happen to good people? It was as if God was asking me the question. I'm like, God, I'm supposed to be the one asking you this kind of question though, you know. And I figured that that's what you wanted us to to talk about this morning. So please open your heart and let's be genuine uh, in this conversation. There are times when there are times there are times when uh, there are times when prayer doesn't work. <laughs> you try to pray, you can't pray. There are times when even worship songs, you know, you now try to pep yourself up because everything is dry. So you go to YouTube and try to do worship songs. Then immediately you start playing YouTube, just hear that guy's voice. If you've been trying to go to Canada, you've been doing it the wrong way. (laughs) Then you press skip. So then you know here, Octa FX is like the same as you have to put in the work. I used to be an usher. Now I'm Octa FX specialist. You put in the work. <laughs> like no, not today. I just want to worship. <laughs> no sanctuary at all. No sanctuary, and you search for it, and you look for it. You're trying to just recreate an atmosphere where you can feel God, and He seems so far. He seems removed from the current circumstances that you're going through. And the Lord led me to this scripture, and I want us to read it, the whole chapter. We'll start from verse 2. I read one verse, you read the next. I read one verse, you read the next. So please... Stir up your spirit so you can actually read it out loud. I want it to be loud. So please read it out loud. Something happens when you vocalize scripture. So let's do this together. So um, I'll do verse 1, you do verse 2, and we'll go on like this all the way to the end. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. Everyone. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. And 
and set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongues walks through the earth. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. If I had said I would speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Oh, how they are brought to this desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none on earth that I desire besides you. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. Verse 28, let's read this together. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all your works. Oh, I put my trust in God, that I may declare all your works. The truth is that bad things are real. Faith is not about denial. When you have faith in God, doesn't mean that you live in denial. You know, you acknowledge the reality that these things are bad, but you receive the power to rise in hope. And as Christians, after being Christians for a long time, one of the things that happen is that you have many buzzwords running through your head. And these cliche words are things that we repeat. And sometimes we don't realize that we have become callous. So somebody saying they're going through stuff, just release one word. It is well. Uh, the devil is a liar. Do you understand? You just release a word. Not that it's not well. Not that the devil is not a liar. Do you understand? But these words almost don't have any power to you. And they are words that make you to deny responsibility of empathy. Do you understand? So, Jesus Christ came to the tomb where Lazarus had died and saw the people weeping and saw the frailty of humanity and saw everybody in agony. Like Jesus was so moved with compassion. He knew what he would do, but he wept with the people. Some people say Jesus wept because there was no faith. No, he wept out of compassion. John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. 
So whenever they ask you to recite the Bible verse, you can't, you don't, you don't want stress. Just say Jesus wept. John chapter eleven verse thirty-five. The shortest Bible verse, two words: Jesus wept. You can't, you know, quote a scripture. There's a certain, there's a certain Canadian friend of mine who said that when he was dating his wife, now that his father, father-in-law, was a pastor. So the only way he used to block boyfriends at the door and said to come into my house, scripture, scripture first. So one day he came to the guy's house and then the man said, scripture. He said, Jesus wept. <laughs> so, <laughs> Jesus actually did weep. He looked at the brokenness of this man. He saw the women. He saw their hopelessness. He saw their humanity. He saw the fact where the pain sat. And he was moved with the feeling of their infirmity. He wept. Faith does not mean that you have no doubt. Actually, faith sits on the canvas of doubt. The place from where faith emerges is actually from the place of doubt. Many times you are sitting in doubt until one day, boom, faith jumps out of doubt. So the fact that you are doubting does not mean that you are actually useless. If you can release your heart to the Spirit of God, that doubt can be converted into currency of faith. You can travel. You can travel. Just don't stay in the place where doubt consumes you. Or permit yourself to travel. And Truly, this week alone, pain is a reality. I've spoken to people as a counselor, so many different things happening right now. You know, this workplace, which is a bad workplace, people abusive, people talking down on each other, people hurting each other in the workplace. And that throws people into a place where they don't know where their future is going to. There is grief in this church. You know, there's someone here who lost, two people here lost their father in the last one month. And that grief, I, I sat with one of the ladies and she said, Pastor Mo, it's painful. These were her words. And those words kept repeating to me, it's painful. I could see the pain seated in her heart. And many times we deal with trauma. Let's not minimize the fact that these things are really, truly painful. There are people who are sitting with diagnosis, you know, like you've been diagnosed that your liver is, do you understand, is having problems. You've been diagnosed like you have a cancer. Now, you don't want to tell stories to people with physical pain. All you want to tell them is let this pain end. Just offer them the end of pain. Do you understand? Uh, one of the biggest diseases of this century is actually anxiety and depression. So many people are going through dark tunnels in their lives. Depression is real. It's real. So real. And those times you try to bring scripture, trying to bring the word of God, but those people's heart cannot magnet the word of God. 
There's no stickiness. The word of God doesn't stick sometimes when you're going through depression. It's as if the word of God is flying, it's flying by. It's not working. It's not working. It's not working. And that dark place, all you can feel is darkness and darkness. And it leads to one anxiety triggers panic attack. Panic attacks triggers dissociative disorders. Dissociative disorders triggers, you know, depression. Depression triggers suicidal thoughts. So the pathway is just woven into each other where the devil actually just wants to kill you. Darkness is real. And then when you bring it down to our nation, you begin to see in the national problems, stories of kidnapping, corruption, death. And this is not just a Nigerian thing. I was telling the people who were praying with me yesterday that a friend of mine just relocated to Canada like, you know, a family. The guy lives in Canada now, been living for a few years now, feeling like, oh, at least I'm not in the troubled area of Nigeria. On the streets of Canada, somebody shot him right in the eye and he died. Right. So, there are people waiting to mug you at street ends at Cape Town to tell you don't go out. It's a global problem. It's a global problem. Insecurity is a global problem. Everywhere there's a, there are troubles all over the world. Nowhere is safe. You know, the story of somebody who ran away from bombings in, in, uh, in Jaws and ran away to Sanya Bacha Barracks and died in Sanya Bacha Barracks because he was bombed as well. You understand? Like you, you, you go all the way from Lagos to uh, Joss, which is a trouble city, to Abuja, which is supposed to be safe. Inside the military cantonment is where you get killed. So where is safe in the world? These things bring us to question of pain as a reality. So that our expectations now seem like a scam. The things we are driving for seems like as if they are far say, as if they are far, far-fetched, impossible to attain. So whether it's education, whether it's career, whether it's our quest for influence, it seems like these things are fleeting. Or whether it's the comfort of a house, a car, luxury and travel. For some of us, it seems like we've given away that. And for some of us, it's just spouse and children to have a loving family. And it's not that you cannot give birth sometimes. You give birth that the children become poisoned. Like in the middle of the journey, kids get poisoned. And the kids now turn out, you know, turn out so bad that your desire to have a good family is disrupted. <laughs> or whether it's like you're trying to gather gold, you're trying to gather treasure. You're trying to say, let me even be an investor. Let me help other people out. And this thing is like, it's as if it's a scam. You know, every space invaded by trouble. That's actually why we're asking the question. Why though? Why? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do people who have best intention experience harshness? 
Why do people who have no ill feeling towards other people experience the hardness of life? What is this about? Why? Have you ever pondered why yourself? I'm going to advance a few reasons. But don't forget, I don't have all the answers. To be honest with you, this is actually an ongoing question between myself and God. And I remember in my first philosophy class in the university, the professor came and said, either God is not powerful or God is wicked or he doesn't exist. If God exists, then he's not all powerful because some pain in the world is unnecessary and a good God should wipe it out. Or he is what the Greeks call Deus absconditus, a God who has created a watery mess and when the world became un ungovernable, he removed himself from the world and allowed the world in free fall. Deus absconditus, a God who has absconded. Or he just doesn't care. All three positions are wrong. But there's a, there's the fellowship of the spirit that is inquiring with God. And these questions is hard, but these are the questions I bring to you today. Why do bad things happen to good people? I have four quick reasons. Number one. We're not perfect yet. So, adversity serves to train us to be a better employee, to be a better partner, to be a better staff. Adversity helps us to be a better wife, to be a better husband, to be a better sibling. It helps us to listen with kindness Adversity could be an opportunity in disguise. I know you may not accept it because whatever you're going through is bigger than this English, right? Most men will proclaim each his goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Faithfulness is worked out of adversity. Growth is Anyway, let me not jump all over my points. The second reason we can advance for why bad things happen to good people is what is good and what is bad? Who is defining? Is death a bad thing? Is dying young a tragedy? Death is freedom from this earth. The Bible says, a good man dies and his place is taken away. No one puts it to account, but they don't know that God is saving the man from the evil to come. Like anyone who dies now, no more Nepa problem, no more trying to make money, no more challenges, no more school fees. The person is free. So maybe death is not bad. Now, this does not mean you should take your own life because your life is not yours. 
So Paul says it this way, to live is Christ, to die is gain. So death then is gain for everyone who has lived in Christ. Death is not what we think it should be. So is dying young really a tragedy? Or is dying young a good thing? Every single disciple of Jesus Christ died young. All of them. All the apostles. The only one who died old was John the Beloved. So we may have a theory that is wrong about old age. And how we want to live old until we are very old before we die. Is that something that God really wants for you? (laughs) I'm troubling some religious minds today. So your idea of death being a bad thing may not necessarily be true. Death is a liberator. To live is Christ, but to die is gain for every believer. The first martyr of the church was a man named Stephen. And in the day that Stephen was being stoned, everybody thought like, oh gosh, what a tragedy. This young pastor who is just full of the Holy Spirit has just been stoned to death. But before you would think it was just all a waste, Stephen looked up into heaven and the whole of heaven stood up in attention. He said, I see Jesus stand and the angels with him. They were receiving the first Messiah of the church. Paradigm shift, death then, done in the right way in the Lord is powerful. It's a powerful release. When my dad died, I didn't cry. I have never cried for the death of my dad. Why? Because somebody served God for 55 years. Everything he did since he was 13 was to go to Bible school and preach and open churches in all the different places he couldn't, like nobody can dream of in Kano, in Kaduna, in Zakibiam, in, in, in Taraba State. My dad was a missionary pastor, jumping everywhere. Sometimes he was beaten and left for dead on account of the gospel. Why would I cry for such a man? What's the point of crying? To die is gain. Such a man has laurels in glory. We're still here trying to see whether we can come near the kind of crazy things that he did. He was crazy. He put all of us into a crazy, through a crazy journey. My dad was off. Leave all the kids with the mom. And he was off to go and preach somewhere every weekend. He's rich better than poor. Some of the richest countries in the world, when they come to Nigeria and they see pure water sellers with a smile. They sell pure water to you and smile. They're full of happiness. Meanwhile, you are rich. You have estates. Now, the, big, the richest people almost don't sleep. Insomnia is something very common among the rich. They stay awake at night wondering, plotting every move. We are talking about this yesterday at our prayer meeting in the morning. Plotting every move, calculating. If I move this industry to this side, what will happen? If I move five million to this investment, what if it doesn't work? In that time, is joy better than mourning? The Bible says, turn your joy into mourning. The Bible says it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of rejoicing. So, is mourning better than happiness? Or is happiness better than mourning? 
So, see, we have called some things bad, which are not really bad, which have therapy in them, which have power in them. So the whole idea of why we feel the crushing weight as if bad things have happened to us is because some of the things we call bad are actually not bad. Could it be that this is the case? Right. Solomon said, with much knowledge comes much sorrow. Are you that kind of person who can always see people plotting a plan before it happens to you? How many of you are like that? You have discernment. Yeah, you can tell what people are cooking up. You can tell. When people are plotting something, you can tell. Do you know, after a while, it leads you to paralysis. Knowing the hearts of men, you cannot go forward, you cannot plan because you're constantly calculating to beat the game of those people who are thinking bad of you. So, is it better to be wise then or is it better to be simple? <laughs> I'm helping your mind to think. This is a philosophical message. So, think. Bring your brain back. I know sometimes when you come to church, you know, you leave your brain outside. Just whatever God says. No, bring your thinking faculty in this morning. Think. What you've been calling good, has it been good or was it bad? Is prosperity better than poverty? <laughs> Is wisdom better than being simple? Is death better than life? James chapter 1 verse 17. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a, a, cast a shifting shadow. Can you believe that God is saying that he doesn't change, that he doesn't shift, that his position towards us is always good? It means that both good and bad are good so long as God is the one orchestrating it. I repeat, both good and bad are good so long as God is in it. The whole idea is to find out who is in the action that is going on. Who is orchestrating it. When death happens in your family, it's a good thing if God is in it. When job loss happens, it's a good thing if God is in it. When crazy things happen to you, it's a good thing if God is in the middle of it because whatever good and perfect gift coming down to us, whatever good is good and perfect is coming down to us from God our Heavenly Father who created all the lights in the heavens. And in whom, another translation said, there's no variableness or shadow of turning. Hallelujah. Think about a world where there is no darkness. Everything is good. You will never know what good is. That world is heaven. And in that world, there was total compliance. God had that world where angels don't have a will. They have to obey. And God thought, 
I have to create another world where the beings in this new world are free to love me or not love me. I have to create another world where the beings are more true and genuine, where I'm going to give them something called free will. This free will means that they are going to, of their own accord, decide whether they want me or not want me. Whether they love me or don't love me. So I'm going to allow both good and evil to nestle in that world. Because good and evil are not in heaven. There's only good. There's only light. There's total compliance. Nobody disobeys the order of God. One disobedience, you are out. Everything lines up. There's only one person who has ever disobeyed in that place, and we all know his name, Lucifer. He's no more there. So God decided he was going to make human beings who he was going to give the power to choose, the, the power to opt out, the power to not belong. So sometimes as a pastor, when I'm seeing people who I'm sharing with and the word is not entering them, or they're not yielding themselves to the world, to the word of God, I feel like, should I tell this person they're so full of trash? <laughs> should I tell this person like you don't know that like you have nothing, you're empty, you're just an empty egghead? I tell them that you're so stupid, you're just incontinent, you don't even know yourself, you're, you're a mess. Should I say all these things? <laughs> Should I say to them that you don't have brain? If you have brain, you will know that you, you need something. You need this thing I'm telling you about. Because sometimes it's so annoying when people can see the mercy and the goodness of God and they don't move at all. So, so annoying. How God has shown himself over to people over and over again and they don't shift. As I'm about to just give them a piece of my mind. I remember God. What would God do? WWGD. He's long in mercy. He never wants to force anyone to follow him. For all the power of God, he doesn't force man. That's the most powerful thing about God. That there's no durance in him. Every day the Holy Spirit comes to you and says to you, would you like to pray today? Can we have a deeper fellowship? Do you think it's a good idea for you to sing another song of worship before you go out? It's a suggestion. The Holy Spirit comes to us with entreaty. It doesn't come to us to force us, to, to bully us. There's no bullying in God. So that every offering you give, it's a free will. And that's what manipulated pastors don't know. That when you manipulate people, you're actually not doing yourself any good because people need to choose God by themselves. That is an offering that is acceptable before God. No duress. Every gift we offer Him is of our own volition. We want to. We love to worship Him. We love to give him our best. It's not duress. It's not force. So, evil then is a contrast to enable us to do good. And the Bible says in the beginning, Pastor Fred read it last Sunday, the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the, earth, of the deep and God said, let there be light. Boom! 
the light appears and God, then the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I think in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 8, I can't remember, that God, it is God who called light out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God calls light out of darkness. God calls good out of evil. So the things we're calling evil, are they really evil or are they really good? We understand, like when we arrive in heaven, the Bible says there's going to be a victory march. Oh, remember you're going to heaven. I know many pastors don't preach about it anymore. Heaven is real. Hell is real. Let me tell you that heaven and hell are what? Oh, church, join me. Heaven is Hell is real. Every person who has not committed their lives to Christ will arrive in hell. Don't let pastors talk you out of this. Don't let anyone preach you out of this. Heaven is real. There's a real heaven where there's a bosom of Abraham. There's a real hell. Truly, my dear sister, it's a real hell. It burns with fire and sulfur. Hell is a terrible place for anyone to waste their lives. But God calls men out of hell. And when we arrive at eternity's shore, there's a song. When we arrive at eternity's shore, but that is just a memory and tears are no more. We enter in as the wedding bells ring. Your bride will come together and say, you're beautiful. Oh, 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 you're beautiful. Like heaven is real. Heaven is real. When we arrive in heaven, they will say, These are the victorious ones. Victorious from what? Victorious from what? If the earth was all a good place, victorious from what? What did we conquer? What did we overcome? In the heavens, when they look at the earth, the earth is a mess. When we arrive in heaven, everybody begins to clap. Like, guys, you made it. Because this earth brings you my fourth point. Oh, man, I've missed it. Yes. Oh. Well, that's not my fourth point. Let me stay here. Right. Let me explain this, right? Heaven is real. And when we arrive in heaven, we arrive into what? Victory. Say victory. Why are you victorious? Because you overcome the earth. Do you guys understand this? Overcoming the earth is the reason why heaven is a victorious place. If the earth was perfect, then there would be no victory in arriving in heaven. Do you guys understand this? That's why evil exists. Evil exists to help you to choose good. Darkness exists as a canvas for your light to shine. Brokenness exists so that healing can, be, can happen. Uh, it, most of the good and evil emerged out of the free will that God gave to man is the wicked choices of men that makes evil to exist. Most of the evils. We are the ones who are pouring chemicals into the earth's core. We are the ones drilling earth's hydro hydrocarbons and causing seismic shifts in the earth's core. 
We are the ones hurting the earth. It's human activity that is causing the earth to have natural disasters. We are the ones causing evil. Most of the evil on earth comes from man. But God will grant us victory from wicked men. Say amen. amen. God will grant us power from ourselves. God will heal us from our own destructive footprint. That is why heaven, arriving at heaven, is called victory. And this scripture, Job chapter 2 verse 10, was Job's wife saying to Job, Cause God and die. And Job said to her, Job did not call her foolish. Look at this statement, well framed. You talk like a foolish woman. That's such a classic. I'm not saying you're a fool, though. But this thing you said is so foolish. Shall we only receive good things from the hands of God and never anything bad? Job understood the mixture of how God gives us both sour grapes and sweet grapes. You need both. Otherwise, Jedi Jedi will kill you. Evil may be serving a good purpose. So let's go on from here. Number four, the final point. There is a real devil. Evil be exists because there's a real devil. John chapter 10 verse 10 says, A thief exists to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. Something else we need to remember. Our words ensnare us. God has given us the power of words. And many times, many of us are anticipating evil and speaking evil words over ourselves. I know a friend of mine who kept saying that, oh, I will always be a sickly man. Recently, he was so sick. He was sick for like six months when COVID hit. He was sick for six months. COVID that everybody does two weeks old. My friend was always confessing that he's going to be, he knows that he's always going to be sickly. He was sick for six whole months. He cannot sit down for five minutes. He'll be tired to lie down. It was incredible. I actually feared that he was going to pass away, but God had mercy on his life. Watch your words. The devil is waiting to enforce your words. Watch your words. Be sober-minded and alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom to devour. The devil is not all that powerful. His idea is to use your own words. So whatever you declare, if you declare that I'm broken, that brokenness will follow you. If you declare that I'm powerless, this anxiety has, has taken over my life, that anxiety will keep on trailing you. But if you begin to speak different, even unbelievers know the power of positive thinking. Today, affirmations are a thing. Everybody is doing affirmation of all kinds. You see those affirmations, weak affirmations for you. I manifest wealth. <laughs> I inhale goodness. I release freshness. I manifest wealth.
You see, most of the world now wants to take the words of God and remove God. The affirmations that work are the ones that have the power of God. The affirmations that work are the ones that are steeped in the word of God. <laughs> the affirmations that work are those that are inspired by the Holy Spirit. I almost try not to be a social media police, but I see some of you releasing these affirmations. And I just want to call you and say, like, what are you doing? You have a more surer word of prophecy. You have a more consecrated word to release. You have powerful promises in scripture that if you were to build your life on them, you can trust the foundation of the word of God. Your words, birth on God's word, release a lot of power. There is a real devil who is perverting and counterfeiting God's purpose in your life. That is why sometimes it looks like bad things are happening because there's a real devil fighting you. He's hoping that somehow you will never arrive into all of God's fullness. Amen. That brings us to the scripture we read today. David was a man who was after God's heart. And in Psalm 73, he pondered, I don't know which one of the situations that made David to write this psalm. Maybe it was when Saul was after him. And Saul kept doing well, even though David was on the run. David would hear good news from the palace of Saul that Saul has taken another kingdom. Even though David was anointed king, this wicked king Saul kept on ruling. And David began to see all the men he propped up. So David had to write a psalm. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do they curse God? David said, he said, feeling envy for the foolish. He says, they live painless lives. They seem healthy and they are strong. <laughs> they do not hide their pride and their opulence. They are cruel. They are violent in lifestyle. They are pompous with words. Their vices just ooze. They snuff at God. Have you ever met those people on, on Twitter who curse God? They are bullies, threatening people. Have you ever met all those people who are threatening judges in America saying we're going to blow you up? Have you, they are loud mouths all over the world with no fear of God. They are full of hot air. They say, God will not see what we're doing. God will never move. Oh, you're waiting for God. You're on a long thing. They say these things. Ah, they say that God will never lift a, a finger. They lay down and get easy, corrupt wealth. How many of you saw in the primary some of these kind of guys? It's tiresome. David felt like, my God, I'm punished under your discipline daily. What is the benefit of walking closely with God? What is the benefit of doing the right thing? What is the benefit of waiting on God? It's too puzzling a riddle. What will
will I gain from doing the right thing in Nigeria where corruption gets you far? How many projects have me, small Moses, turned away? Well, I may not be as small as I think, though. Because you people are telling you you should come and do 500 million naira project. And you're able to say to them, the process is too dirty, I cannot be a part of it. Then you may not be so small. Because sometimes when we teach these things, some of you guys don't know that we experience them too. I walked into a bank head of head office. I was trying to sell a network for about 60 branches. It was over, it was over close to a million dollars. What one deal. Everything was done. Project analysis done. And the guy looks at me and says to me, what will you do for marketing? I'm like, that's why I'm here. I'm marketing you now. The guy says, oh, not that kind of marketing. What are you going to give to me? I said, but you are a staff here. What should I give you? Then I lift up the mouth. You want me to give you a bribe? It was open office. He just said, shh. When I walked out of that office, I knew the deal was done. It's, it's gone. My partners say, oh, is the deal still on? I said, forget about it. They want me to incentivize them. They were shocked. My foreign partners were always shocked by me. I walk this line that I'm preaching. The wicked get away with it. They get all the deals and look at you as if you're stupid for walking the righteousness route. The wicked prevail. It seems like the wicked are ruling everything. So I'm not here to pretend like God is in charge and everything is okay for the righteous people. I'm sorry, I'm not that kind of pastor. I will tell you that the wicked are really cleaning out right now. Because I read this in the Bible where a psalmist said this, the king said this. So I will affirm that this king was actually right. Do you guys understand? So don't minimize the knowledge of the fact that you desire something higher than this. Then something happened in verse 17. In verse 17 of the scripture we read, if you turn your Bibles to Psalm 73, 17. Please keep this on the screen. I want you guys to read that. Who finds it should read it for me. Psalm 73, I think 17 or 18. Who has found it? Anyone? Anyone found it? Thank you. 73, 17. Okay. Psalm 73, verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou casted them down into destruction. Until I went to the sanctuary of God, everything looked bad and bleak until I had access into the secret place. 
From this secret place, I got revelation. Time will fail me to tell you the story of this guy called Chenanna, Zedekiah, the son of Chenanna. This name is like, look like an Igbo's name. In the times when the kings were going to war, there was a guy called Zedekiah who was a prophet. And the kings had called all the prophets and said, should we go to war against Maramol Gilead? Are we going to overcome? All of them stood up and said, yes, king, go to war. You will win the war. And this Zedekiah came with prophetic action. He made horns. Yeah, he made horns of iron horns. He came ready for his prophecy with prophetic action. He says, oh king, live forever. With these horns, you will go the Arameans. The whole court was so impressed with Zedekiah. And Zedekiah was known to be such a powerful prophet. Everybody knew him. He had a good name in the city. So, another prophet called Milkiah now came and said, I saw the Lord. I saw Israel on the mountain like sheep without shepherd. And God said, how am I going to lure Ahab out so that I may kill him? And he gave a totally negative word and said, Ahab, as you're going to this war, you're not coming back alive, you're going to die. And then, it was a war of the prophets. One of the prophets stood up and went and slapped the other prophet. Zap! From where was I? That the Spirit of God left me to come and talk to you. Baby prophet. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible scripture. You know what Micaiah said? Indeed, you shall see on the day when you go into the inner chamber to hide. There is a secret place where the thoughts of God's hearts are revealed. There's a secret place where men begin to unravel what is happening in reality. It's another place where the reality of God is opened up for men to see. And those who press in there, everything is designed to make sure you don't enter there. Everything is designed to make sure you don't go in deeper. Everything is designed to keep you superficial. All our dressing, all our attire, all our coming to church, all our religion, all our online things is designed to make sure you never enter. Even the prophets who prophesy, prophesy you so they can be your man of God and stand in the place of God. So you yourself Self, never enter but there's a call today come into the secret place come into the secret place for those who enter into the secret place are they who have revelation of what God's real heart is about the matter those who journey deeper into God are those who receive understanding of what God is trying to say and do and act those are the people who understand the heart of God it was said that the people of God understand the ways of God but Moses understood the act the people of God understand the acts of God but Moses understood his ways why? Moses will go up into the mountain many times when the people were all aside Moses will step into the thick cloud he will go into the secret place there is a deeper place there is a deeper place when you go up into the secret place all of a sudden you will see come into the temple of the Lord Say that to someone, come into the temple. Come into the dwelling place of the Lord. 
Come deeper, guys. Come deeper. Come deeper. Leave the realm of men. Leave the outer territories where people hang out. Leave the place where political conversations and small trite conversations happen. And step in deeper into the place where the glory is. Because by the glory cloud, the visions of God are made clear. And God begins to receive and release revelation secrets. We read that scripture in Psalm. It says, there's a private place reserved for the lovers of God where revelation secrets of God is released to those who love Him. Oh my God. Come into the secret place. Come into the temple. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before Him. The Lord lives in the holy place. The Lord dwells in His temple. If you're dry today, I have a recipe for you. If you haven't had God in a long time, I have a recipe for you. It's for you to dwell in the temple. It's for you to come to the place where God is. Because in His place, there is power and healing, restoration, deliverance, salvation is in His name. For by your hand we are saved. For by your hand we are saved. When you go into the temple, you begin to understand what God was saying. We know that this temple is not a temple built with human hands. We know this temple is not a church building we're talking about. We're talking about releasing the place where God has an affair with you. Where God has access into your spirit. Where God has unfettered, unfettered access into your spirit. Come into that place. I just hear the Spirit of God says, my children are hungry. They are broken. They are hurting. And I can see it. Like in the times of Hosea, I reached my hands out to my children all day long. And they are not hearing me. They are not hearing me. There's a gap between you and me. There's too much space. Watch the gap. Close that gap between you and I. Come into my dwelling place. Come into the sanctuary that I may show you who I am. Call upon me and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. When it's all overwhelming, come to the place where I am. <laughs> There's a solution in me, in my temple. Behold my beauty, inquire in my temple. And I shall show you great and mighty things, which you do not know. Kanima salam brayatu. This is actually what God is saying. This is the psalmist said again, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. They looked to him and became radiant and their faces were not 
ashamed. Hallelujah. Amen. Once David entered the sanctuary, his distorted perspective vanished. He began to say exactly what he didn't say before. He began to say, I now understand the destiny of the wicked. Their path is slippery towards destruction. They are consumed in terror. I can see that they're caught off one day. Sudden calamity comes in a blink of an eye and they are gone. They are momentary monarchs. Their kingship doesn't last. Before the rooster crows and they awake from the sleep, everything is done. <laughs> I am I'm, like, he, he started to see and then he began to declare, those that abandon Yahweh perish. He says, I'll be ever close to you. He says, Lord, you are my, you are my inheritance in the land of the living. The last verse says, proclaim the awesome works of God who is glorious, faithful, and awesome in all his ways. Our God is worthy of our worship, but we will never be able to see him until we enter into the temple of the Lord. There's one thing that will help you to enter into the temple. One is the light of eternity. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In the light of eternity, everything begins to make sense. For us to realize that this earth is not everything there is. It's another place. You know how we try to make this world comfortable? Trying to get good deals on earth. Trying to live big on earth. Trying to be the eat people on earth. But this earth is just a short time. 70 years or 80. We're clapping for people who are 80, 85. We're like, wow, strong man. 80, just mere 80. Eternity is what we should worry about. In the light of eternity, every evil that happens on earth is small. Once you see the eternity of God, whatever your lack on this side of eternity begins to make sense. This message may not be for everyone. Maybe for a few people who the situation in their lives is so eternal that on this side of eternity, it seems like the questions they have have never been answered. They've been waiting and waiting and nothing has come out. They've been trying and trying and nothing has happened. It seems like their youth is faded away. It seems like their time has just been spent and God has not answered and evil has locked. It seems like the wicked has had their neck, had their hand on their neck for all their lives. Some people seem like there was a curse proclaimed, even right now in the Spirit. Someone a curse proclaimed on your family a long time ago. And it seemed like you are under that curse. And it seemed like God has allowed that curse to fester all these years. And God is like, 
God is like, this curse will be broken. And you're like, when? God says, this curse will be broken. This curse will be broken. I release you now. I release your family now from that curse. I release your family now from that curse. The chain of the devil. And you wonder like, God, are you not powerful? Are you not supreme? How come I'm still under bondage? And God is saying to you, the bondage is over. The siege is over. In the name of Jesus. Live in the light of eternity. In the big picture, what you're looking for does not count. In the big picture, what you're waiting for is not what God is demanding of you. It will be done. It's not a big deal. It will be done in the big picture. God has another big picture for you. I remember, let's go, let me finish. I don't want to give too many examples. I'm, I'm just always at the end. So, this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, going through adversity. Sorry. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, went through adversity, total adversity. And look at what the Bible says. Let's read this together. One to go. Oh, you guys are not reading well. One to go. Lift up your voice. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He was put him to grave. When you made his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Whenever things happen, whenever things happen that looks as if God had a hand in your brokenness, whenever it seemed like you went to seek the Lord, what you were doing was your best knowledge of God. And you tried everything you knew how to do and nothing is coming out of it. God has a purpose that he will walk out of it. And there are three things here. Number one, he shall see his seed. He shall see his seed. Today, up to four billion people in the world say they are Christians. Yeah, four billion. Why? Because God made Jesus an offering for sin. Do you guys understand? That's his seed. He shall prolong his days. What's the second prophecy, right? Prolong his days. Jesus lived at three and a half years and died. Then his death became a seed. When he rose up from the dead, how old is Jesus Christ now? Do you guys understand? Jesus Christ is 2,050 years old based on the year 2022 plus 30, right? 50, 2,055 years old. That's how old Jesus Christ is right now as the man Jesus. Is, are his days long or not? God prolonged his days. His days became eternal days. And number three, the Lord's good pleasure will prosper in his hands. Whenever you go through adversity, remember this. 
God made you like an offering. That adversity is designed to build something on the inside of you. Adversity is supposed to build something on the inside of you. And the end of that building project, what God will do is that he will make sure you see your seed. Say amen. amen. It says, your days will be prolonged. Say amen. amen. Say the pleasure of the Lord will prosper in your hands. Do you know many of us don't know that there's something God is pleased to put in your hands. There's the pleasure of the Lord in your hands. There's what you do that delights God in your hands. God wants your hand. Lift up your hands. Lift up both your hands, guys. This morning, lift up both your hands and see. Just raise them up unto God. Look in your arms. Look in your arms. Look in your palms. Just look into, set your eyes. There is the Lord's work in your hands. The good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in your hands. Say amen. When God causes you to go through adversity, it's not for nothing. When God causes you to go through divisions and brokenness of all types, it's not for nothing. It's for the Lord's good pleasure to prosper in your hands. The Lord's good pleasure will prosper in your hands. The idea of God, the plan of God, the purpose of God from eternity, from which He made you unique, from which He made the unique linings on your palm, will prosper in your hands. Say Amen. Why do good things, why do bad things happen to good people? Because God is setting them apart. Why do the things we call tragedies happen to people? Because God is building something on the inside of them. Why do God not allow the same smooth path to happen to everyone? Because Jesus lent obedience through the things he endured. So will you as well. There's a building project of God in your life. Say amen. amen. There's a construction project of God in your life. There's a crafting project of God in your life. There's, a, <laughs> there's the enterprise of God in your life. <laughs> You're not just here for yourself or what you think you are here for. There's another plan for your life. Say amen. Amen. Oh my God, I'm trying to get this message across. Like I am hearing it in the spirit. God is announcing that there is something that I'm putting in your hands while you are here. So when I allow adversity is to build you, I don't want to hurt you, says the spirit of God. I do not rejoice to crush you. But I see that people do not go far because of the things they enjoy. People go far because of the things they endure. Out of the foundry of difficulties, great men are forged. Out of the foundries of adversity, prominent people emerge. Out of what you go through, some purpose is born. The Lord's good pleasure will prosper in your hands my God, the revelation of that scripture is just hitting me. The Lord's good pleasure. Let's repeat it. The Lord's good pleasure will prosper in my hands. Say it. The Lord's good pleasure will prosper in my hands. The purposes of God. Make it a prayer this morning. The purposes of God are being done through me. The idea of God is being birthed through me. The strategy, the plan, the purpose of God will be birthed in my hands. It doesn't matter what door closes. I know my Redeemer lives. Shall we only receive good from the Lord and not evil? 
before. It doesn't matter what the devil is throwing my way right now. The Lord's good pleasure will prosper in my hands. The idea of God, the, the image of God that he wants to make will prosper in my hands. The strategy of God will prosper in my hands. The plan of God will prosper in my hands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. In the year 20, 2007, God shut me down. I was coming back from South Africa. I was at Oliver Thambo International Airport. I'd gone there to get a business partnership between my company, which I'd just set up, and some South African firms trying to say, I'm going to bring technology to, a new type of technology to take over Nigeria. And as I arrived at the airport, all the trips, I li- all the meetings I lined up, very well confirmed with emails and stuff like that, all the meetings blew out of water. Nothing happened in any of the meetings. I thought I heard the Lord saying to me, go to South Africa. So, I went there did everything I could. Nothing worked. On my way back at that airport, I heard the Spirit of God clearly say to me, Moses, what are you doing here? I'm like, what? You know, when God says that, it means that you are totally out of his will. So, I was like, what is God trying to say? (laughs) I was so scared, like, amazing. And that season, at that time was when I had like a plush house in Ikoyi and things were going well. And God began to shut me down. More or less, my wife and my three kids at that time, we moved from that house. We couldn't afford the rent anymore. Business closed. Everything shut down. And God asked me to resign. And we moved to a BQ in VGC, where, which was cheaper, which we could afford. And, I, and God said to me, will you serve me with everything you have? It was hard. But it was also easy. I don't know how to explain this. <laughs> it's hard and easy. It was happening not that, not as, not as clearly as I can tell the story. Now it was happening in a more woozy way. But now I can see it clearly with hindsight. It makes so much sense. God was asking me, leave everything and come and work for me. It was the hardest thing I ever did. But I did it with joy. And God told me, don't travel anymore. Don't travel. And because of that, from that 2017, I never left Nigeria again until 2012. Like, it was actually from 20, 2000, sorry, 2006, 2007 to, to 2012. Seven years. I didn't go anywhere and travel. Me that, ah. My best sound is, ching ching, British Airways. 
<laughs> Once I hear that sound, I'm so happy. Virgin Atlantic is going through from Miami. To, that's me. Airport hopping. Jose said, don't leave. Sit down. Build me something. Build something bigger than yourself. This was the time when I took on an unpaid role as a resident pastor in this present house. You tried to pay me. I was like, oh no, I'll work for the Lord for free. I'm on the Daniel in Babylon. I'll go and make money from the kingdom of darkness and bring all the money to the kingdom. They tried to pay me. I said, no, I was radical. I want to work for God. One day, I never forget this day, my wife came back with the girls from school. They're in school in Lekki one at this time. And they had driven the girls from school because we didn't have money to pay fees. And I was like, oh yeah, bring them. I just hugged the kids like, oh yeah, hey, just take them home. As I turned to go, I looked back. Tears were flooding down my wife's eyes. That was the moment. I knew something. <laughs> Before then, I didn't know something was wrong. But that moment... <laughs> God was constructing me into a healer, into a servant, into a spiritual sharpshooter. But that contention with what I was doing could not continue. I don't even remember how we paid the fees, but we paid the fees. Everything paid. They, they, they never gave us payment holiday. I don't remember them giving us. We paid the money. Somehow the money just somehow came. Either one customer who were doing business or would just pay at that time. You know. My partner, Namfa, now talked of buying me out. They just kept me on the board. Just having mercy for me because I was one of the founders. I was really good at selling in the early days. But now all my time is taken up by spiritual life. Just had mercy on me. From time to time, when they close a the deal, they will send some money to me. That's how God kept me. Kept me seven whole years. In those seven years, I reinitialized myself as a man of God. I came back into the ministry, which I'd run away for like 10 years before then. I served God with everything I knew how. And I am the man I am today just because of that seven years of shutdown. At the end of 2012, someone bought me a ticket to go to Dubai. I didn't pay for it with my whole family. At the end of 2013, God says, okay, you're free to go to the nations. London, US, all these trips happened again. Can I ask you, what are your dreams? What are those big things so difficult is God asking you something every one of you has something that God is asking of you today this message is not accidental it's a demand of God on you what is God asking you to be yours may not be a pastor like me yours may be an entrepreneur yours may be a representative of God in the marketplace but I learned how to be a spiritual sharpshooter because I went into the temple, into the secret place. 
This is the invitation I bring to each of you today. Don't just ask, why are things bad for me? Ask, God, what do you want me to do now? Where are you taking me? Come into the secret place. This is not just about a more, this is not about more fasting and more retreat. Don't get me wrong. The secret place is not just about more retreats and more fasting and more. No, it's not about that. It's actually about aligning to the plan of God. Of course, will he include prayer? Yes. Will he include study of the word? Yes. Will he include discovery of what God is saying you should be? Yes. God will place a demand on you to become better, to journey different, to be a different person. Why? There's a reason why you were designed. There's a reason why you were created. You were made for something. And sometimes the trouble we have is redirection to point us back, to point you back to where you should be. God wants to point you back. And that's my message for today. Good things await you as you yield yourself to God. The bad things will not be your story forever. Today, I am a spiritual sharpshooter. I see the Holy Spirit reads people's emails to totally to me. If I come into the room, I can tell what's going on in somebody's life in that minute. Oh, precious, like we did it last, was it last Sunday? Somebody sat with precious, was telling her, oh, I hate pastors because pastors do this 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 the next minute i was having a meeting by somewhere by someone and i was meeting her for the first time i just looked at her straight i said god wants to deal with you but you've had bad experience with pastors she turned and looked at precious like wow like i am sharp in the spirit how did that happen by circumscribing myself by allowing myself to be used in the spirit of god i've become that sharp instrument in the hand of god you too, many of you here under my voice are called by God. You're called by God to something, but you've wandered away from that thing. Could it be that God is shifting the matrix around what makes you you because you've wandered away and God is trying to get your attention back? Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org. 